bad news. We're coming to a close of our series, New Beginnings, so the teardrops can fall. Uh, But we're moving on next week. But this week, as we come to a close, what we've been looking at is how God's people are trying to get back to Eden. Since the beginning, since everything went wrong, we've been trying to get back. And today what we're doing, as Eileen said earlier, is we are in part two of our sermon, Getting Out of the Pit. And, well, what is the pit? Well, we saw last week that Jacob calls it Sheol, which essentially means your own personal hell here on the earth. So we've all, in some sense, fallen into this pit, into this darkness, and we saw last week that this world will throw us in, and it will beat us up, and it will hold us down into the pit. And some of us are in such a despair that we have decided, like Jacob, that we're just not going to get out. It's just better off that we just go ahead and stay here right in this pit. And so what has happened is tragedy has hit, and we have become victims And the greater tragedy is that as victims, we have decided we're not getting out at all. And so the tragedy just keeps growing and growing and growing. Because maybe something happened in your life. Maybe somebody betrayed you. Maybe you failed at something. Maybe things did not go the way that you wanted it to go. And it knocked you down into the pit. And you don't think you could get back up out of it. And in fact, maybe you don't want to get out. But you've got to. Because if you don't get out, something more tragic happens. You get stuck there longer and longer until you find that the grips of the shield, the grips of this pit will not let you go and you find yourself there forever. And and here's the other thing. You have to be the one that gets yourself out. Your family can't get you out. Your friends can't get you out. They are there to help you, but it is your story of you climbing up out of the pit. You cannot do it with others. It's your story. You're the one who's getting up out of the pit. And if what we learned, and if you don't, well, you end up bringing everybody down in there with you. And so there alone in this pit of darkness, here's what happens. Because we're like, no, don't, no I don't want to go in the pit. I don't want to go in the pit. Well, it could very well be that being in that pit is the ecosystem that brings new life to you. Because here's what you find. When you are there in the darkness, in the depth, where all it feels like despair and it feels like all hope is gone, you are there in the bottom of this pit and it's there that you find you actually aren't alone. That there was somebody there waiting for you because he went to the pit already before you. It was Christ and he went into the deepest of pits, the deepest of dungeons into death and there he grew roots in death. And then by you going, falling into this pit, you hold on to him, the only one who can get you out. And then he, this tree, grows up out of the pit and brings you into new life. And here's the thing. You never would have known him had you not been thrown into the pit. And if you don't get out of that pit, if you don't cling to Christ, what you find is that you begin to bring all the people that you love down with you. Because you don't want to be alone. And they're trying to help you. And as they're reaching your ha- their hand down to help you, you just yank them in. But you just wanted to get out. But what you find is you've pulled them down with you. Christ is the only one who's going to bring you up out of it. And the emphasis of these verses last week and this week is that our ability to get out of the pit will change what tomorrow's like for you. But not just your tomorrow, your kids' tomorrow. From generation to generation to generation, because today, what you're doing today and your ability to get out of the pit, 
you're building a culture within your family. And then that culture extends to their family, to your kid's family. And then it keeps going on and on from generation to generation. So what you do today has a profound impact on your future, but also your kid's future and your friend's future. And there's an important distinction between this week and last week. So last week, we saw how the world just shoved you into the pit. And it was horrible what happened to you, but you had to make the decision to get out. But this week, it's a bit different. Last week was about an evil that threw you in. This week is about an evil within yourself that throws you in. And you've got to get out. So, we're looking at two characters today. Judah and Reuben. And these two characters are both thrown into the pit because of the evil within them, the sin that they find themselves doing over and over and over again. And one got thrown into the pit and got out. And because of it, his father promised to him that your generations from here on out are going to live with courage and determination. And through you, because of what you have done, this culture is built in your family and it's going to bless your family on and on from generation to generation. But the other guy, he never got out of the pit. And what we see is it created it made his family into people who have lost heart into people who you would call cowards so let me give you a summary of the message the message is that sin the evil within you will throw you into a pit and there you must cling to christ to get out and the way to get out is by this word repentance and then as you are up out of this pit you fix your eyes like crazy on your aim, which is Eden. You just fix your eyes there and you don't look away. And everything else that might sacrifice, everything else that might distract you from Eden, you sacrifice it. You push it aside. You don't look at it. You don't get distracted. And that is the thing that keeps you up out of the pit. You got to keep your eyes on the right mark. And it will turn you into someone with strength, who lives with bravery, encourage and does what is necessary in order to impact your future and your family's future. So I'm just going to say all of that again so you get it. Sin throws you into the pit. And the only way out is Christ who grows you up out of it. And there you get up out of the pit and you look around and you wonder, what should I aim at? And then you fix your eyes just like you've got just massive OCD and all you're doing is you're looking at Eden. And you keep your eyes there, and by doing that, you sacrifice everything that would distract you from getting to Eden, and thereby you build a future that is better tomorrow because of the choices you made today. So, Genesis 49, I'm going to read verses 1 through 3, 1 through 4, which are about Reuben, and then 8 through 12, which, which are about Judah. Then Jacob called his sons and said, gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. But unstable is water. You shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. You went up to my couch. He went up to my couch. Then... Verse 8, Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. 
Who dares arouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vestures vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. All right, verse 1 and 2. What's going on there is Jacob sits all of his sons down. It's the end of Jacob's life. These are his last words to his family. He sits all of his sons down and he essentially tells them, here's what your future is going to be. Now, is he making a prophecy about him? Well, kind of, but he's also using wisdom and he's making a determination that here's the way my sons are. Therefore, here is what I foresee their future will be. And he shows them how that what they have done today and in their life shapes not only their life, but their children's life, and from generation to generation. And what happens is each of these sons grow so large into these incredibly huge tribes that make up the 12 tribes of Israel. And he tells them, because of the way that you have lived today, you've created a culture, and that culture will go on and on from generation into your families, and it will completely impact what life is like for future generations because of what you've done today. And the same is true for us. What you do today will shape not only your tomorrow, but your children's tomorrow, or your friend's tomorrow, or the culture that you're building among your workplace. It's, it's incredible the impact that you can have, and you have no idea what it is. And every family will shape you in healthy ways and unhealthy ways, because every family is imperfect. So, every one of you have to get out of the pit that you have been thrown into because of the culture that's been built in your family. And that's, you know, that's kind of bad news for us as parents because we're like, oh man, you're, you know, in, in some ways you're going to ruin your kids. Like there's no way around it. But they've got to go to Christ for faith and he's the one that brings them up out of the pit. So anyways, the life that is well lived is a life that has gotten very good at coming up out of the pit. Coming up out of the pit that our family has thrown us into. So this first son is Reuben. He's the oldest son, and it, oh, that role as firstborn is incredibly important back then. Now, it would have been his responsibility to take on the family goal, the family aim. Now, what is Israel's job? Is to bring all of humanity back to Eden. And that was all supposed to fall on Reuben, but it doesn't. Because of the choices that he made throughout his life, it's taken away from him. So he was the one that was supposed to make the sacrifices for the family. He's the one that was supposed to have the courage to live the way he ought to live to lead his family back to Eden. And this goal has been passed down to every Christian to lead everybody back to Eden. And so we got to look at Reuben and see what he did wrong so we don't make the same mistake that he made. Because here's what he did. He took his eyes off the mark. What's the mark? The mark is Eden. And he was supposed to, like crazy, just keep his eyes focused right on Eden. But he didn't. He, he, he tore them away from Eden. And because of it, it put impulses in him and desires in him that were not good for him. And he missed the mark. So this is what he did. He slept with his father's wife. Not his mother, because his father had four wives. We won't get into that. But one of them he got with. His father found out about it, didn't go so well. But watch the pattern. He took his eyes off of Eden. And as soon as he took his eyes off of Eden, he started his character crumbles. 
and he starts doing something that's incredibly unhelpful in getting back to Eden. Like, this is not the move that you want from the guy who's supposed to bring the family back to Eden. So, leaders, the great ones, make sacrifices. They make sacrifices today for the good of those tomorrow that they are leading. They're able to put off their wants and desires and their impulses that are right now for a better future for those that they're leading. So to be a leader is to be willing to sacrifice. And Reuben does the opposite. He gives into the impulses that he has of the day, and it creates in him a leader that nobody wants to follow. And if they did, they'd be veering off the path and wouldn't make it back to Eden. So he missed the mark. He lost the mark. The way you could describe sin is missing the mark. So here's what happened. He took his eyes off the mark. Now, now, here's the question you want to ask yourself. If your life is not going the way that you want it to, the question you need to think about is, am I aiming at the right thing? Because we always seem to hit what we aim for. At least we get pretty close. And so what is sin? Well, sin is either taking your eye off of the right mark or getting distracted and looking away and then throwing your dart or pulling back the bow and letting it go. And you miss the mark that you should be aiming for. So I've been thinking about this and I'm like, okay, Reuben, 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 Reuben. He has two major offenses. The first one is he's giving into the impulses of his day because he's not willing to make the sacrifices necessary to lead his people back to Eden because he took his eyes off of the mark. But the second thing he does is he dishonors his father. I mean, pretty horribly. Now, the Ten Commandments come out, and the Ten Commandments have one of them that says, honor your father and mother. So, okay, why is it so important to honor your father and mother? Well, think about it. Your father and mother are the ones who are making the most sacrifices for you today so that your tomorrow is better. So not only is Reuben not making the sacrifices himself, He's giving into the impulses. Not only is he not making his own sacrifices that he's making, but he's dishonoring the one who's sacrificing most for him. So it's a doubly wrong thing. It's a doubly rejection of sacrifice, which means he cares really nothing about getting back to Eden. He wasn't able to make the sacrifice of self-control. So, like, okay, we think about this. Okay, he's supposed to be honoring his father. So if one of my kids call one of their brothers or sisters, like if they tell them to shut up or they call them stupid, like, oh, man, don't do that. But then if they say it to me or Elise, like you kind of like, oh, wow, it feels a little bit different, right? Because they're dishonoring the one. I'm not saying they've done this to me. Maybe they have, though. But they're dishonoring the one or the one who is at least called to be making the most sacrifice for them and teaching them how to love and teaching them how to be wise, but rejecting that. So that's why it's important to honor your father and mother. So Reuben doesn't do that. He's, he has a double rejection of sacrifice, and it makes him into the ultimate bad leader because good leaders sacrifice. And the key to a life well-lived is a life that is full of sacrifice. And we know this. I mean, if we want to follow a leader, we look for one who's willing to sacrifice. So there's been a political ad that's been going out of a guy. They show him, and he's wearing shorts. You're like, well, why would he be wearing shorts? Well, because actually he doesn't have legs. And they're showing that he doesn't have legs. Now, why are they doing that? Well, he lost his legs, I believe, in war or something. But what's the message there? This man is willing to sacrifice for us. So therefore, we should vote for him because do you know what we do? 
we follow the one who's willing to sacrifice for us the most because we know that they're working for our good. So, that is not Reuben at all. And that causes his father, Jacob, to revoke what would normally be coming to him. Normally, he would be the one who would lead his family back to Eden, but Jacob wants nothing of that for him. And Jacob says to him, Reuben, you are unstable as water. And he says, you will not be preeminent, which means he's not going to hold the leadership. And then what we find out later is the tribe of Reuben, there's a war happening. And Reuben's descendants don't even go in to fight their own battle, but let others fight it for him. This is the exact opposite of what someone who is a leader should be doing. They're running from the battle as opposed to charging in first. This is a learned behavior that they got from their father, their forefather, Reuben, that's been passed down. Okay, so I'm thinking about this. I'm like, okay, there's got to be a connection. So what is the connection between Reuben doing what he did with his father's wife and his descendants being, uh, they lost heart and they were cowards? What's the connection? Well, you think about this. They lost their aim the same way as Reuben did. So Reuben's supposed to aim at Eden, but he doesn't. And because he doesn't aim at Eden, it causes him to not make the sacrifices that are needed to help his family get to Eden, which means he's not a good leader. And his descendants, they don't have their eyes on Eden. They don't have it on something that's worth fighting for. And that was the whole point of this war is for, let's get back to the promised land. Let's keep the promised land here. But they don't have their eyes on that. They have their eyes on something else. And so what their eyes are on, they value more than Eden. So therefore, they're not going to go into battle for Eden. They missed the mark. So... War will make anyone fearful. And being brave is not about taking away the fear, but it's having something worth fighting for that you know, if this might cost me everything, but it's worth it because what I'm fighting for is worth it. You wouldn't start a war for your sports team to win. I hope not. But what is worth fighting for? And that's really the question. Bringing your kids into Eden... Building Eden for your kids in your home, and your place, that's worth fighting for. It's worth giving your life for. It's worth sacrificing for. Your eyes must be aimed at the right thing, and if it's not, you won't seek Eden, and therefore you won't be willing to make the sacrifices necessary to build Eden. Your eyes have to aim at the right place. So 2 Corinthians 4. This is a beautiful verse. It says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day by day for this light momentary affliction, this suffering, this sacrifice that I'm making, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we what? Look not to the things that are seen because those are temporary but to the things that are unseen, for those are eternal. Look upon the right thing, have the right aim, and you will find yourself living with courage and sacrificing where you need to sacrifice. So, are you struggling with some sin? You are. Could it be that you're just aiming at the wrong thing? 
You just can't, you can't break the sin. You can't you just sin over and over. Why do I keep doing the same sin? Well, maybe you're aiming at the wrong thing. Reuben's desire for something other than Eden overtook him. He missed the mark, and it turned his family into cowards. Sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. Today, for a better tomorrow. Actually, this, is, this has a lot to do with what it means to be a human. So psychologists will say that humans are the only ones who have, of all of creation, we're the only ones that have discovered the future. Meaning, we're the only ones today that work today, make sacrifices today for a better tomorrow. And in fact, if you think about that, okay, we're made in the image of God. This is the only thing that humanity, I mean, well, this is something that separates us from all of creation. So what does that mean? Well, it means it's a very divine act to sacrifice today for a better tomorrow. That's us functioning as the image of God. In fact, let me tell you this. In Genesis, in the beginning, God says, humanity, you know what your aim is? To take Eden and build it over all the earth. And we're actually called to have dominion, which means we're like kings and queens who are supposed to rule over all of creation and fight to bring Eden into all the earth. That's before the fall. That's before anything wrong happened. Which means we are, have to be willing to make the sacrifices today to build a better tomorrow, to bring Eden. We plant acorns today so that our grandkids could have picnics under oak trees tomorrow. Well, many years from now. And, and the other thing, this is about self-control too. So, so you look at Reuben. I mean, you have all these desires within you, good and bad. right? Desires are not a bad thing. It has to do with what you're aiming at. So bad impulses are like you being unstable as water because you're aiming all over the place. So your future tomorrow... Your future tomorrow will be determined by your ability today to be self-controlled. And the only way to be self-controlled is having the right aim. What are you aiming at? So the book of Galatians says it like this. There's a war raging in us. And there are passions and desires of the flesh, which are bad. But there are all other passions and desires that are led by the spirit, which are good. And what it says in Galatians is you have to crucify, meaning sacrifice, those impulses and desires of the flesh, you're crucifying them to the cross, you're killing them, so that then awaken the desires of the Spirit. And the last fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So, self-control. It's a willingness to sacrifice the impulses of today for a better tomorrow, to bring Eden, for a healthier heart even, by the way. So every impulse you engage in that isn't an impulse to build Eden will lead you further into the pit. And its grip will get tighter and tighter and tighter on you because what's happening is you're creating a culture, you're creating habits in your life. And when you create a habit in your life, you do it more. And as you do it more, it shapes your heart more. And the next thing you know, years have gone by and you're thinking, how have I fallen this deep into the pit? And it was because every single day you chose the impulses and desires that weren't set towards Eden, but towards something else. You have some deep problems in you. But it's okay. Everybody does. That's what it means to be human. What are we going to do about them, though? Well, it says crucify them. 
Crucify your unhealthy wants. Kill them on the cross for a better tomorrow. So you, look, here's an example. An angry father. He's angry. He's an angry father. And he passes that on to his son because his son admires him. So he's learned from him. Or, so he's angry to his son. Or, he hates his father for his anger. And so he does the exact opposite. Makes an equal, but an opposite error. Never disciplines his kids because he doesn't want to appear angry. And so what happens is he messes up his kids then too. Because never got out of the pit. Some of you maybe have had bad parents. Some, maybe, maybe your life has been tragic. And, it's, and they have caused you to become maybe like Reuben would have created you to become. But that doesn't have to be your end. Don't let it be your end. Don't let your parents' sins create a culture of which you adopt and live into. See, it was your parents' sins, but then it becomes yours, and you have to actually take responsibility for it, because now it's yours. You could make a great excuse for why you are sinning the way that you are sinning, and you probably would have a great excuse. But if you keep making excuses, you will stay there in the pit, and you will never get out, and it will become way more tragic than what happened before. You have to sacrifice your pride, and if you don't, you're going to stay in the pit. But not just you, now your kids. And the people around you, you start bringing them into the pit. The people you work with, your friends, just everybody's just dragging you. Everyone's dragging each other into the pit until we get up out of the pit. That's why, like, these things happened in the past. They call them revivals. And what would happen is everybody just starts coming out of the pit, and all these amazing things start happening, and people are just living in these amazing ways. And you look back at those times in history, and you wonder what happened. Well, everybody at the same time, for whatever reason, just came about. So, how do we get out? Because it's going to keep dragging us down. It's our sin, our, our, the, the, the evil within us. Well, we're going to look at another brother now, Judah. And the thing that makes Judah so special is not that he was perfect. It's a, he was the worst of them all. He went into the dark, darkest of places, but he came out. And that's the beauty of Judah. So, he comes out, and he's actually willing to sacrifice his life for his youngest brother, Benjamin. So how does he get out? Repentance and sacrifice. He gets out by repentance. He comes out, and he sacrifices everything that gets in the way of Eden, and it keeps him out of the pit. So here we go. Here's Judah. We find at the end of his life, his father's life, his father's meeting with him, and he says, here's my last words to you, Judah. And he basically tells him, you will be king of all your brothers, and they will bow to you, and you will be like a warrior. He's saying he's going to take the lead. And he's going to be the one that fights for all of humanity to get back to Eden. He's the one that will have a heart like a lion and he will puff out his mane before he goes into battle and he will charge out first. Not waiting in the behind, but he will go first and fight on the front lines for those that he loves to bring them back to Eden. And he makes the ultimate sacrifice along the way. Whoever this will come to do this. So the father gives him the honor to be the one that brings humanity back to Eden. Not because he lived perfect, but because he ventured into the deepest, darkest of places and came out. 
And that's what transforms him into being the kind of brother that's willing to make the sacrifice for his rest of his family. So what happened to Judah? What got him into the pit? And then out? Well, while he was there in the pit, he did something that terrifies us. He looked in his heart, and he saw what was in there. And it was dark. And there was an evil there that he had been closing his eyes to for so long. And finally, his eyes were open to it, and he realized the kind of man that he was. And you know, he could have easily blamed his father for his situation because his father wasn't a great father. He could have blamed it on a number of things, but he took responsibility for it all. And then he did this thing that gets a bad rap, but he repented. Which means he turned to God and he found forgiveness. Why has that word gotten such a bad rap? He turns to God and he finds forgiveness. And then God brings him up out of the pit and God says, now live this way. So let me, talk, let me tell you his story real quick. So here, here's how it goes. Many years before he's willing to make the sacrifice for his youngest brother... He's looking down in a pit, and he sees his second youngest brother, Joseph, in there. Judah and his other brothers have just thrown him in, and they threw him in to die. And then Judah has an idea, you know what, let's not, kill, let's not let him here, be here to die, let's sell him as a slave. And so they sell him off to become a slave, and, and then they make up this story. And by the way, what led them there? The impulse of jealousy, because they wanted to be their father's favorite, but they weren't, and so they threw him in. So anyways, so after this happens, they take Joseph's coat, they dip it in blood, they bring it back to their father, and they say, look what's happened. He's been devoured by some wild animal. And so this destroys his father. It's actually what throws their father in the pit, which we saw last week. So then after this event happened, Judah flees. He's like, I, you know what, I got to get away from here. And you know, guilt has a way of doing that to you. You have enough guilt in your life, you begin to start running from everything. And so he runs off, and he meets a woman, he gets married, he has three sons. The first son marries a woman named Tamar, but his first son dies. Actually, we find out he dies because of his sin, and it's the sin that he's inherited from Judah. So he dies. Now, in this culture, if a, the firstborn son marries a woman, and that firstborn son dies, then that woman, Tamar, where marries the second son. And so Tamar marries the second son, but then he dies because of a sin that he's repeating that he learned from his father. So now it comes time for Tamar to marry the third brother. So the father, Judah, says, he's too young for you right now, which was true. He was really young at the time. And so the, she, she, he says, go back to your father's house. We'll come get you when it's time. But then Tamar realizes what's going on. Judah's trying to trick her because Judah doesn't want her to, her to marry him because Judah thinks that Tamar just... It's her fault. For whatever reason, her sons are dying and it's Tamar's fault. But it's not. He can't see his own sin and he can't see the sins of his sons. And that's what's killing him. So Tamar realizes what's happening and she devises a plan. It's a weird plan, but she devises a plan. So it's time for the sheep shearing festival. The sheep shearing festival apparently was a time to party. And so Judas gets his buddy and they go for a boy's weekend. So Tamar hears that he's going to do that. So she, she goes along the side of the road, puts a veil over her face so he can't recognize her. Also, by the way, this is the veil of, of what prostitutes wear at the time. So she dresses herself like a prostitute, knowing the character of her father-in-law, knowing that he'll see her and approach her. And so she does this. 
disguises herself. He walks up to her, doesn't recognize her, and they're negotiating. And basically, they come out and they say, okay, this is going to happen. You know, what happens between a prostitute and, and a guy? This is going to happen for the price of a goat. And she says, okay. And he says, okay, kind of weird, but that's what they did back then. And so, but he doesn't have his goat. So he says, okay, I'm going to give you my shepherd's staff, my signet, and my cord. And this will be proof that I'm going to come back and pay you with the goat. So they do what they do, and then uh, he sends his buddy to go give the goat, but he can't find Tamar. Still doesn't know that it's Tamar. And then Judah hears that Tamar is pregnant by some random guy. So he says, go get her and burn her. Like, literally, he's ready to burn her alive. And so they pull her out, and they're ready to go kill her by burning. And she says, wait. Take this shepherd's staff, take this signet, and take the cord and bring it to Judah and tell him that I am pregnant by the man whom these belong to. And he sees, he hears it. They bring it to him, he hears it, and he's cut to the core because he realizes he was about to kill his daughter-in-law for the very thing that he had been doing. And it cuts him to the core, and for whatever reason, it's like his heart is opened up and he can see everything in there, and he says, oh man. Who am I? What have I done? And then the story ends. Then years later, Judah comes back on the scene, and he's a completely different man. He's the kind of man who's ready to sacrifice his life for his youngest brother. So what happened? Well, he did what we're terrified of doing. He looked inside. He repented. He saw the sin that was in him, and he was disgusted by it. And he turned to God for forgiveness, and he found forgiveness, and it transformed him. And it made him into the kind of guy that makes sacrifices like crazy along the way because he's got his eyes so fixed on Eden. That's his prize, that's his goal, and anything that gets in the way of that, he will sacrifice, especially himself. There's something about seeing your depravity, like being awakened to it, but then finding forgiveness that is incredibly healing, but it also makes you alive into somebody new and you become transformed and you start living the way that you ought to live. Because you have something else you're fixing your eye on. You fix your eyes on God and he's teaching you. Sins are like ghosts. They will haunt you forever until you get rid of them. The only way to get rid of them is by repentance. By the way, I'm not saying I believe in ghosts. So I, you guys made a funny face at me. So... Judah is now the leader who's willing to lose his life for the sake of others. And he's willing to sacrifice all of these superficial, like surface-level things for the greater prize. And by that, he creates a culture within his family that extends from generation to generation that has produced some of the greatest kings that the world has ever known, including King David. And eventually, through his line, would come a man who would sacrifice everything for humanity. Christ. The one who makes the ultimate sacrifice so that the many could get to Eden. Now, look, sacrifice is costly. It's going to cost you a lot today for a greater tomorrow. You're losing yourself. Find yourself. You're making yourself not the great concern, but others your great concern. And by doing that, you actually find who you're really meant to be. 
And it's the story that every single one of us must live into. This is the path towards Eden. Sacrifice. A life well lived is a life that has a story that's been written in blood. Blood means sacrifice. So you look back at the story of your life and can it be written in blood? Meaning, do you have a life that you have lived that's been filled with sacrifice? Keep your eyes on Eden. And you will find that you are making sacrifices along the way, but they don't really feel like sacrifices anymore because you got your eyes fixed on the thing it's supposed to be fixed on and you know what to do. Because if something gets in the way and it doesn't bring you closer to Eden, you sacrifice it, you get rid of it, and you just press forward with all the ones which you love, fighting to bring them with you to Eden. And along with that, you start finding that you've got some real meaning in life because you're finally fighting for something that's worth fighting for. You stop chasing after these small little things like comforts and money and whatever else that you could think of and you start living with courage that people look at and they're impressed by, but all it's because is because you've got your eyes fixed on the right place. If you will just find the greatest of all aims that you could possibly aim at, Look upon Eden and aim there and you're going to start living your life with sacrifice and you're going to start becoming what it means to be human. And it's going to start taming all these unhealthy desires in you. Why? Because you finally found something worth fighting for. But there still remains a problem. How do you aim at something that you can't see? So all the way back in Genesis 3, there's a goal, and the goal is we got to get back to Eden. How are we getting back? Well, there's this talk of, a, of someone that's going to come and crush the head of the snake, but you know, how are we getting back to Eden becomes like the goal. But then at the end of Genesis, the goal shifts, and now all of Israel is searching like mad for this king that is going to come from the line of Judah. And eventually, that king would come. But he wasn't a king of the earth. He was the very king of Eden that has come and broken into our earth to come and rescue us and bring us back. Who'd make the ultimate sacrifice? Whose life was written with letters of red because all of his life was a life of complete sacrifice all the way up to the end and especially to the end. And so Jesus comes to die on the cross. Now, why? Why does he have to die on the cross? Well, on the cross, he literally becomes sin. Like, he is so clothed in our, skin, in our sin that his father looks down from heaven and can't see him at all. All he could see is our sin. And in that moment, when he is covered with sin and he is pierced, in that moment, when he dies, the curse of sin and death die as well. Because he went down into the pit. He went down into the deepest dungeon. He went down into the pits of hell. And he grew roots there and came alive. And he burst out. And in the resurrection, by faith, we're taking hold of him and we are brought up out of the pit. Because we found somebody who said, you're worth it and I'm going to pit for you and I will make any sacrifice necessary to win you back. Now tell me that's not going to change you forever. 
you'll find yourself living with so much courage and so much bravery. And you'll, if you just keep your eyes on that, what he's done. Because now our eyes aren't fixed on Eden anymore. Our eyes are fixed on the king of Eden. And we fix our eyes on him and we remember what he does for us. Every single morning we remember it. And we, that gives us the courage and that gives us the desire and the passion and the energy to live the way we ought to live. Because he came and he died and he rose. So the king of Eden is planted in the pit to bring you out and take you back to Eden. So we got to go to him. Let me pray. God. We have all thrown ourselves into the pit. Let me, let me just, let's just, God, we want to confess that to you right now. We are sinners, and we have thrown ourselves into the pit, and we are here in the pit, and we are turning to you, and we are asking you to forgive us. And God, I pray that you would show us that you have now and forever cast our sins as far as the east is from the west, and you have lifted us out of the pit. And I pray, God, just teach us how to live like people of Eden and keep, help us to keep our eyes on the prize of your kingdom because the king is here with us and help us walk closer and closer to him so we might bring Eden back more and more and more. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Something is back. Communion. So, we're going to have communion today together. Now, I want to explain what communion is. It's important that you know what it is. So, all of us have this story that we're living in. And the Christian life is this. You found a new story. And it's the story of God coming and taking hold of you. And what happens is when he does this, he sweeps you up into the new story, the Christian story. Now, Communion is a way of acting out the story of God coming to rescue us. His life is drained from him in the pit. Like the blood is spilling. But we are taking hold of it by faith. And like this Bible says this weird thing about drinking his blood. Like that sounds so weird. Unless you think of it as this is life. Like he's life and he's drained of it. And it's being given to us. And, his, and he's the bread that's come down from heaven to give us life. Okay, so watch this now. You're, the story is being acted out as we take communion together. But it's a drama, and you're actors in it, which means that when you partake, you are actors in the divine story. Which means that what we do this together, we are acting out the story of Christianity. And we're saying by partaking in this, by, by, by taking the, the, the bread and eating it in the cup, we're saying, I believe this is true. Because we're acting it out and we're saying, this has happened to me. I've been swept up into the story and I believe it's true. This is just God's way of reminding us of who he is and what he's done for us. And he's allowing you to be active in this versus just sitting here and listening to me all over and over and over again. You get to partake in this. So you're part of the story now as opposed to just listening to me. They're visible words. So when we do this, when you come up, oh, oh, by the way, we have a new thing because of coronavirus. So there's a wafer in here, this little guy. These are up here for you. So the top level, you get the wafer, and then the second level, you get the juice. There's trash cans up here. If you can't figure it out, maybe we need to have somebody up here to help you, I guess. I'll stay up here if you can't figure it out, but I think you got it. Um, okay, you get it? And, and you don't all have to come up at one time. 
But, you know, be when you're ready. So we're going to do this right now and we're going to act it out. So here's how it went down. Let me pray first. Father, we pray that your spirit would come, that you would be present among us, and that Christ, our great Savior, our great King, our warrior who went into battle and faced the cross of death, the pit of death, so we wouldn't have to, so we would just pass through it. We pray that we would know that you are with us our mind and our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name.